listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. It's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 8th of February 2024. Later on Market Day, we'll speak with Damien Bowie from Baron Joey about the day's market action, including those Chinese inflation numbers, which shows a decline of 0.8%. But first to AGL, which posted a $399 million underlying half-year profit. That is an increase of 359%. Higher wholesale electricity prices, more stable market conditions and lower costs helped. But it comes as the ABS earlier said that electricity prices rose nearly 6% since the June quarter last year and would have actually been 18% higher had it not been for the energy bill relief um, rebate there. Still, it's more than the CPI overall at 4.1%. So what's AGL doing about high electricity prices and the concerns surrounding it? Well, here is its CEO, Damien Nick, speaking at an analyst briefing earlier today. In August, I spoke to our commitment to increase our customer support funding to at least $70 million in FY24 and FY25. This is in addition and complementary to the Government Energy Bill Relief Fund and includes up to $400 of bill relief for our most vulnerable customers on the Staying Connected Hardship Program. To date, we've accelerated our support package spend with $35 million of the $70 million two-year customer support package utilised in the first half to deliver assistance to customers who need it the most. The greatest portion has been allocated to direct financial support with $20 million in proactive bill credits and $13 million in debt relief to customers experiencing hardship and family domestic violence. We continue to proactively engage with customers who are experiencing cost of living pressures, providing customers with payment support and government grant assistance, and have commenced our program to deploy free solar for low income households starting in South Australia. We're also partnering with specialised empathy training providers for our call centre and communication staff, delivering programs to improve First Nation customer accessibility and increasing financial counsellor coverage. That is AGL Energy CEO Damien Nix there, and AGL shares surged today more than 10%. Now, Market Day on the SBS On The Money podcast. Speaking of shares, the Australian share market had a good day. The S&P ASX 200 up 0.3%, 7,639 for the day's market action. I spoke with Damien Bowie, the Chief Macro Strategist at Baron Joey. Damien, first of all, the share market is up today. What's driving it? Uh, so we had um, a positive lead from uh, the US. So I think what's driving this is people are optimistic uh, about earnings. Uh, and the secondly, they're thinking that central banks uh, are probably going to leave rates either unchanged or maybe even drop them. Uh, so the net balance of those things is starting to push, uh, push up stocks. Let's split those two up then. Let's talk about reporting season, which has begun. What do you think will be the key themes? Yeah, there are a number of key themes here. So let me lay the backdrop. Uh, this is a very low conviction year and a justifiably low conviction year uh, where we have an economy globally that looks like maybe it's in the mid-cycle, maybe even accelerating. Uh, but we also have a lot of asset allocation signals behind uh, the scenes that look very late cycle. So there's something in there for everyone, whether you're a bull or a bear. The reality is that the market right now is looking for a mixture of attributes for stocks. Uh, they want reasonable valuation, they want reasonable growth, and they want reasonable quality. So when you overlay that with the reporting season that we have, if you're a very expensive stock, 
uh, like a high multiple stock, like a growth stock, and you disappoint, um, well, you should expect uh, to see some weakness there. Uh, on the other hand, um, if you are a stock which is um, in a sector which is very beaten up and people are quite pessimistic and you start to report strong results, uh, well, you should expect a disproportionately strong uh, outcome there. So you're starting to see that in the early reporting season. Uh, we've had a few retailers, the smaller ones, and they've actually reported some pretty strong results and they've really um, uh, outperformed. Uh, and then you've seen some of the growthier stocks uh, like today, uh, realestate.com, actually not a bad result. Uh, but not as good as what the market had hoped for. Uh, and, and, and that, that stock has started to underperform. So you can see, uh, the investor sensitivity here. Um, uh, they're not willing to pay, uh, up, uh, you know, infinite multiples for growth. Um, and equally, they are looking for some cheer. Now, um, there are some implications here also for the macro economy and for economists. Uh, because right now, um, I think a lot of people are struggling to understand where is the Australian economy today? Um, if you listen to the retail uh, companies, they're actually saying that the consumer is in a good place, um, at least the ones that have reported so far and the trading updates that we heard over the Christmas uh, uh, trading period. However, if you're looking at the ABS data, uh, that's telling you actually the consumer is in a big hole. And you can see this um, in the latest RBA um, statements uh, where one of the key words that keeps cropping up is just uncertainty. Um, and one of the uncertainties has got to do with the consumer. So I think that the insights that we glean from reporting season uh, will also have relevance uh, for how the RBA uh, looks at things. Uh, the third thing, which I think is very uh, important, uh, has got to do with profit margins. So no matter how well or poorly you think the economy is going, we know that we've had tight capacity. We know that we've had labour cost issues. And really the issue, the, the, the only question is how much offset have firms been able to generate either through their pricing power uh, or through easing supply chain disruptions. But nevertheless, I expect that this reporting season, uh, we will see evidence of margin compression. You mentioned interest rates there in the RBA. I think the other key market issue at the moment is the speed at which interest rates around the world will start falling, um, yes. especially in the US. And only in the past couple of days, we heard from the RBA, which actually said, hey, we can't, we cannot rule out an interest rate rise. So, so what's the yes. market really thinking will happen with rates? So I think that the market pricing, if you're taking it out from bonds uh, or money market pricing, has got a bit of confusion. So there's interest rate policy and then there's balance sheet policy. And what the market is thinking is that, um, you know, we have lower inflation, which gives you a little bit of room to allow rates to fall, but not the extent to which we were pricing at the beginning of the year, um, you know, where in the US we were talking about 150 basis points worth of cuts. The reason why the bond market started to go that extreme I think is because uh, it started to foresee some liquidity issues happening in um, money markets, the banking system, and so on and so forth globally. And it started to extrapolate this idea that maybe the Fed would have to um, stop shrinking its balance sheet and maybe even start expanding its balance sheet to deal with those issues. So understandably, then bonds have been rallying on not only the expectation of rate cuts on the back of lower inflation, but maybe that central banks will have to adjust their balance sheet policy. Now, um, this leads to a really interesting juncture where um, our um, team, uh, our economists and our fixed income uh, strategists, um, actually are not of the view that you're going to get really, really deep cuts from, uh, from all the central banks this year. Um, they agree that you might see cuts. Um, our economists are dovish about the RBA, but they're not necessarily saying you're going to see huge cuts. So um, 
what's supporting that thesis and you know where are the balance of risks well what's supporting that thesis is that you have global growth at the moment and in particular us retail sales growth which is reaccelerating um, you have the prospect of sticky inflation uh, because of Red Sea disruptions and the fact that economic growth is reaccelerating. Why would you have to cut rates aggressively into that environment? Uh, in fact, you could even argue that the acceleration that you're seeing in the US retail cycle has got to do with the Fed um, reinforcing dovish market pricing last year and all asset prices r- running uh, to support confidence in the economy. So there is that argument. Um, however, if you look in Australia, as our economists highlight, well, the economic data looks pretty bad. Uh, the retail cycle is down. The construction cycle is down. There's a lot of confusion about that. Um, <clears throat> my guess is that uh, the market really is looking for flat rates. Uh, if you can achieve unchanged rates, uh, that will go a long way to supporting the market. If you get a situation where rates fall um, and fall like the market has been expecting, it means that something has gone wrong. Uh, Fed Chair Powell has basically said as much recently suggesting that um, I don't have to cut interest rates just because inflation mechanically falls. He's saying that actually if there's a shock somewhere and growth slows more sharply than we expect, then he will cut. So he's basically trying to push back on the idea that just because the market wants rate cuts to support it, that well, that doesn't mean he's going to give it. It's not a, it's not a free lunch. On the flip side, if interest rates rise, then that's not, a, <clears throat> that's not an outcome that anyone's really positioned for at the moment. Um, it will mean a higher discount rate. It means that we have to start worrying about, um, you know, savers, borrowers, uh, where's the economic impact. Uh, that creates a whole new um, can of worms to deal with. So central banks, their incentive is to keep rates level as she goes. Uh, any deviation around that uh, will start to cause some friction and ructions in markets. Can we finish on your take on the Chinese economy? Because today we saw data which showed that consumer prices fell 0.8% last month. So the nation's falling deeper into deflation. What's your take? Because didn't we just see more recently the Chinese share market start to recover over the past few sessions? Isn't there a little bit more um, optimism? So um, here's the thing about China. Um, We like uh, the fact that um, Chinese policymakers have this option to stimulate. Uh, It's an option to stimulate, which is um, basically being afforded by foreign investors. Uh, We are not in a situation where if China stimulates its economy, that foreign investors will decide to run for the hills and and pull out money and counteract what the PBOC does. We're not in that regime. However, um, it is strange that Chinese authorities are choosing to use their money to boost the stock market rather than boost the economy and earnings. Uh, This is a strange development. A lot of it also has to do with the fact that China um, doesn't seem to be clearly intending to reflat its property market. It looks to want to support it, but not reflat it, not get speculation going. So um, if you're looking at the asset allocation backdrop, well, Chinese equities are really cheap uh, and Chinese bonds are really, really expensive, um, effectively priced for indefinite deflation. So if you continue to have deflationary outcomes in China, the balance of risks here shifts to investors wanting to position for more and more stimulus. Uh, Authorities have already started to talk more stimulus. It's just that they're implementing it via supporting the stock market rather than the economy directly. So I look at this and think, well, the balance of risk is actually glass half full here. Even if you are a China bear, it is very, very hard, given where the valuations are, to position that way. Uh, By implication, um, if you're looking at the Australian resources sector, Um, There's a lot of pessimism in resources because of the pessimism in China. Well, actually, we have to think twice about that because this is where the market is kind of looking at it 
and thinking, well, the valuations are cheap, but I don't want to go into that space. Maybe we need to reconsider at some point. That is Damien Bowie there from Baron Joey. Quickly ending with uh, news from the telecommunications space. Last year, the Optus outage contributed to a 13.4% rise in the number of complaints to the telecommunications industry ombudsman in the December quarter. For more, Raina Bosch spoke with the ombudsman, Cynthia Gerber. The key driver of the increased complaints in the October to December quarter was the um, network outage that um, about 10 million people experienced on the 8th of November. The other sorts of issues that drove complaints were, you know, delays in establishing a service or no phone or internet service. So it really highlights how essential um, phone and internet are to people to function today. And what are the other major issues that this report has highlighted? Um, other key issues for us are that you know, ongoing customer service issues remains a big concern for, for everybody, as well, as well as ongoing billing concerns. One of the things that we are pleased to see is we have seen a drop in complaints um, that relate to providers not saying what they're going you know, not doing what they say they're going to do. And that's been a key concern for consumers for a long time. So I'm pleased um, that that has gone down this quarter. In terms of the expected response from telcos, what is the message that you want to give out to them? Look, it's great news um, that we can say that this quarter is down on the same time last year, but things can change very quickly and it requires constant focus to ensure you understand your customers' needs, understand your customers' expectations and respond quickly and fairly when people do raise a concern with you. Now, we know that a large percentage of the population is under pressure still from the cost of living, rising interest rates and the like. What are you seeing in terms of financial hardship claims? How's that looking? I'm pleased to see that we have had a drop in um, complaints that relate to financial hardship in the last quarter. And you know, I'm optimistic that in advance of the new financial hardship standard, maybe some of the businesses started to you know, improve how they were supporting consumers experiencing financial hardship. I would just put the call out to consumers, though, that if you are struggling to pay for your phone and internet, please let your um, telco know and reach out for the assistance that you're entitled to. Now, is there any kind of information or perspective that you can provide in terms of the diversity um, of the complaints that you're hearing? Are there many languages that are being spoken when you're getting these complaints through? Is there any kind of significance of this and how is that data used? Yeah, so we do ask um, consumers what language they speak predominantly at home, and we do see um, the next past English, um, Arabic and Hindi are the next most spoken, and that's really important for us to understand to make sure that we have materials available in language for people, but also to understand whether there's an underrepresentation of people. Do they know they can actually come to um, the telecommunications industry ombudsman? So we use that data to target our outreach um, to make sure people are aware of their right to complain. And how does a person complain if they do want to escalate something to the ombudsman? Um, the first port of call for a consumer who has has a complaint is let their telco know. Um, if they can't get a fair and reasonable outcome, call my office. We're free and independent. You can complain online at tio.com.au or we're a free call number 1800 that's Cynthia Gerbert there, the telecommunications industry ombudsman, speaking with Raina Bosch. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. 
content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decisions.